0: Welcome to Squawk 5353, the Private Pilot Podcast, episode 39. I'm your host, Izzy Simon, a private pilot sharing my tips and tricks to make the skies a safer place. In today's episode, we'll be discussing night VFR flying. This episode, as it is episode 39, marks the nine month anniversary of this podcast. Thank you to everyone for the support along the way, and I look forward to what is to come. Before we begin this week's episode, I'd like to encourage you to consider donating to my Patreon. For those of you who don't know, Patreon is a way for you to financially support this show. This show takes a lot of time each week to research, write, record, and edit. It would mean the world to me if you went over to my Patreon and supported the show. A link to my Patreon can be found in the show notes. You also can subscribe to this podcast, which is a free way for new episodes to automatically be downloaded directly to your device. Feel free to subscribe in whatever podcast listening app you are using. And now to today's main topic, VFR night flying. Virtually every aspect of flying at night is different from the clear light of day. The aircraft is more difficult to inspect. The cockpit takes an air of unfamiliarity, as it fades in the dim red glow with the panel lights. Weather becomes more important, as does flight planning and attention to cockpit organization. Engines that run smoothly by day mysteriously run rough by in the dark, and nightmarish thoughts of forced landings emerge from the dark recesses of your mind. Still, the magic of cruising beneath starry skies and above brilliant glitter of city lights more than overcomes the anxiety of flying at night pilots in many countries must have an instrument rating to fly at night. Many pilots believe that this is a good idea because flying at night can be as close to instrument flying as you can get in visual conditions. And the potential for flight into IMC, or instrument meteorological conditions, is at its greatest. Your best defense, the best strategy, is to combine skill and judgment with an in-depth knowledge of night flying. Each step of the process of night flight requires special knowledge and close attention to detail. Planning a night cross-country flight requires special attention to many details that may escape your scrutiny while flying in the day. The landmarks that will guide you from your destination look different at night. Many familiar features will be hidden beneath the veil of darkness, and new landscapes take their place. Lakes, rivers, railroads, and fields fade into blackness, while cities appear as crystalline mazes of light. Lighted towers, difficult to see by day, suddenly come to life against the night sky. While many roads may be visible, streetlights and traffic may illuminate intersections and other highways. Airports that were difficult to find during the day may mark their location with a bright, flashing green and white beacon. Though you navigate by pilotage during the day, you may want to rethink your strategy at night. Because the terrain can look quite unfamiliar and desolate at night, it's easier to find yourself off course or at least beginning to question your true position. To avoid this, back up your pilotage with radio navigation. Select the VORs or NDBs that will guide you to your destination. Terrain clearance is another nighttime concern. Like low clouds, darkness can easily obscure high terrain. To ensure adequate clearance along your route, note the maximum elevation figures, or MEFs, printed in each quadrant of your sectional chart. Then add at least 1,000 to 2,000 feet to the highest MEF figure and use the sum as your minimum en route flight altitude. Since it's difficult to read the fine print on a sectional in the darkened cockpit, record the appropriate communication and navigation frequencies along with any other pertinent flight information on your navigation log. Don't use a fine point pencil because it may be difficult to read. Often said for dark ink and large print. Don't use a highlighter on your chart. Depending on the color in the cockpit's red light, it may be clear as a black solid line through your chart, leaving your sectional map unreadable. Finally, study your route carefully and be familiar with the landmarks, navigation aids, and your destination airport. Commit as much information as possible to memory, and make sure it's all down in your navigation log. Even though Federal Aviation Regulation 91.151 only requires a 45-minute fuel reserve for night flights under visual conditions, headwinds, navigation errors, and unexpected weather can deplete a reserve fuel at a frightening pace. Prudent pilots pad their fuel reserves with at least twice the minimum required. Now it's important at night to take into note night weather. The only real difference between day weather and night weather is just that you cannot see night weather. For this reason, it's extremely easy to unintentionally fly into weather you wouldn't get near during the day. To avoid this problem, always get a thorough and detailed weather briefing. As you digest the briefing, remember the variability you've seen in daytime weather. Clouds that were forecast at 5,000 feet magically appear at 2,000. Unless you're instrument-rated, equipped, and current, you might consider cancelling your long night cross-country flight unless the forecast calls for clear weather and you can look outside and see the stars. Even then, you might get a surprise. The first rule for a night pre-flight inspection is to do it during the day whenever possible. Many problems are more difficult to spot at night, and a flashlight does not replace the sun. This does not mean you cannot bypass a final check before departure, but a daylight preflight will give you added peace of mind. One item essential to your night preflight is to check all the aircraft lights. Taxi and landing lights, rotating beacon, and anti-collision lights, position lights, cockpit lights, and flashlights. They should all work. Since electrical power is of the essence, be sure to check your alternator belt for obvious defects and proper tension. Checking for fuel contamination is especially difficult at night. One technique is to hold the fuel sampler against the white backdrop and shine a light from the side to verify proper grade and purity. While pre-flighting the aircraft is crucial, don't forget the importance of pre-flighting yourself. Night flying can be demanding, especially when things start to go awry. So be conservative and remember that some unique medical factors come into play at night. It can take at least 30 minutes or more for your eyes to adapt to the low light. About 20 minutes in dim red cockpit lighting will provide a moderate degree of adaptation. Once your eyes have adapted, if you look at white lights, the adaptation process must start again. Altitude also degrades your night vision because your eyes' demand for oxygen increases as light dims. And if you smoke or have inhaled carbon monoxide, your vision will become even thinner. For this reason, some experts recommend the use of oxygen for night flights above 5,000 feet. Another night flight medical consideration concerns your biological clock or your circadian rhythm. Regardless of other factors, circadian rhythm tells us to sleep when the sun goes down. They slow your mental functions, which means you tend to be more complacent, not something you want to be during a night flight. Flying with a passenger or another pilot or frequent contact with air traffic control, flight service, or flight watch can help keep your brain engaged during the flight. Cockpit organization is important for daytime flights. It's doubly as important at night. Have a flashlight or two with fresh and spare batteries within immediate reach. You never know when the lights may go out. Charts should be carefully organized and stowed within easy reach. Above all, be familiar with a cockpit layout, including the location of all the controls, instruments, and cockpit lighting. Ground operations are more difficult at night, especially at an unfamiliar airport. Study the airport cryogram to avoid confusion and become familiar with the taxiway layout and designations. Then ask the ground controller for progressive taxi instructions. The controller will lead you step by step from where you are to where you want to go. The object of this is to keep you from going where you don't want to go or are not supposed to be, like on an active runway. Night departures, regardless of conditions, should be considered instrument flight, even for VFR pilots. There are too many illusions and problems that could arise and follow up your visual senses. The false horizon illusion is only one example. A string of lights across a canvas of night can appear as a horizon. Rolling your wings level to such an illusion can place the aircraft in a steep bank. At low altitude and with little time to sort out this true picture, this can be a real killer. Another problem can come from sparse lighting on the ground, which can create the illusion of a star-studded sky Again, a pilot relying solely on visual references may place the aircraft in an unusual attitude trying to sort out the picture. With these points in mind, plan and fly your departure like an instrument departure. As you approach the end of the runway in the initial climb, transition your scan from the outside environment to the instruments and keeping your aircraft climbing straight on course until you've reached a safe altitude of a thousand feet or more. Some aspects of flying, such as finding an airport, can be easier at night than during the day but many tasks are much more difficult. Reading sectional charts is a good example. This often requires a white light, particularly if you need to discern the colors on the chart. If you must turn on the cockpit lights, try closing one eye to retain dark adaptation. Thanks to aircraft lighting systems, see and avoid collision avoidance is often easier at night. But there are illusions that can play havoc on your see and avoid scan. Autokinesis is one such illusion. If you stare at a stationary light against a dark backdrop, it will appear to move in time. If, for example, you stare at a bright star, your mind might see it as moving and thereby take it as another airplane. To avoid autokinesis, don't stare at lights. Staying busy is the best way to fight the complacency standard in your circadian rhythm. By requesting flight following after you take off, not only does this give you someone to talk to, it gives you another set of eyes looking for traffic and a ready source to help if things go awry. Another essential and productive task is to get updated weather information from FlightWatch, a flight service station, and recorded sources such as AWOS or ASOS. The frequencies for those services are listed in the airport and facility directory, and you should write them down on your navigation log. Don't forget to keep your own eyes open and watch for changing weather conditions. If you start to lose sight of the stars, you may be flying under the clouds. If ground lights begin to look hazy, you may be flying in a layer of clouds or fog. Even though the visibility appears fine, you may be flying through precipitation. Sparkles illuminated by your strobes indicate precipitation such as rain or snow showers. Remember that landing lights and strobes can cause vertigo when flying in clouds and precipitation, so don't hesitate to turn them off. While some motels keep a light on for you at night, if you are flying to an airport without a tower or arrive after the tower closes, chances are you will have to order the lights on to Brilliance. Airports with pilot controlled lighting are identified in the AFD and commercial references. Determining what kind of lighting system your destination has and how to activate it is a critical part of your pre flight planning. Most pilot controlled lighting is activated by clicking the microphone button a certain number of times three, five, or seven for low, medium, and high intensities, respectively. But this procedure is not universal. Some airports use different frequencies and different aviation procedures pilot control lightings can usually be activated when you're within 5 to 10 miles of the airport. Activating them at that distance can help you find the airport, but remember that lights usually turn themselves off after 50 minutes when they were first activated. To keep the lights from going out when you're on final approach, key your mic the required number of times when you're on the downwind leg, or even if you're practicing touch-and-goes. Determining wind direction at night is not too difficult. Many airports have an illuminated windsock so you can overfly the airport And determine the wind direction and on which runway to land. Even if the ATIS is not available, many airports now have an ASOS or AWOS that provides weather information 24 hours a day. Even armed with proper lighting and weather information, night arrivals call for special considerations. The approach and landing procedure is often devoid of normal visual cues and many visual illusions can result in seemingly dumb mistakes. Lights along the street can easily create the appearance of a runway for example. For VFR pilots, the best way to avoid night illusions is to fly to and from airports equipped with VASI or PAPI approach lighting systems. They provide guidance on the correct approach path and obstacle clearance within 4 nautical miles of the runway. If you are instrument rated, flying an instrument approach, even in good VFR weather, will help keep these illusions in check. If you are not instrument rated and the airport does not have an approach lighting system, there are ways to plan for a safe descent. If your aircraft has DME or distance measuring equipment, and there is a VOR or localizer on the airport, your DME distance from the field can be used to gauge your descent. A standard three-degree glide path descends 300 feet per nautical mile. On a five-mile final you should be 1,500 feet above the ground or AGL. At three miles you should be 900 feet AGL and on a one-mile final you should be 300 feet AGL. If you are a certificated pilot flying solo the currency requirements for flying the day and night are the same But if you will be carrying passengers at night, FAR 61.57 Recent Flight Experience Pilot in Command requires that you do a minimum of three takeoffs and landings each to a full stop within the preceding 90 days. As with many of these regulations, there is a minimum requirement. Meeting the letter of regulation is in no way guaranteeing your safety and proficiency. A more rigorous approach to proficiency raises the level of safety. While engine failure is most feared at night, Inadvertently flying from VFR to IFR weather is far more common and deadly. Prevention is the best cure, but it's best to be prepared for the worst. If you are a VFR-only pilot, practice basic hoodwork work and unusual attitude recovery often with a qualified instructor. If you've never practiced your instrument work at night, you'll be behind the eight ball if a problem arises. Electrical failure at night is much more problematic than in the daylight. A partial failure could result in the loss of cockpit lights or a loss of navigation or communication capabilities. A burned out landing light is more of an inconvenience than an emergency. The best strategy for coping with an electrical problem is to be prepared. Carry several flashlights and a handheld transceiver with fresh and spare batteries. Think about and practice emergency procedures with an instructor at night. Night flying can be truly spectacular and safe with proper knowledge, training, and judgment. With my busy schedule, I found myself flying at night far more often than flying during the day, especially as part of my IFR training. Make sure that you are well prepared and have a complex understanding of your aircraft so that you can ensure safety during your night flight. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Squawk 5353, the private pilot podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode, make sure to check out last week's episode about single pilot IFR. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, please consider donating to my Patreon. A link to my Patreon can be found in the show notes. Also in the show notes is a link to all the resources used in today's episode. If you know someone who might enjoy this episode, make sure to share it with them, and subscribe to this podcast so that new episodes are automatically downloaded to your device. This podcast is currently looking for a sponsor, so if you or someone you know is looking for a sponsor on a podcast, make sure to email me. My email can be found in the show notes as well. Again, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Squawk 5353, the Private Pilot Podcast. I'm your host, Izzy Simon, and let's make the skies a safer place.